Well, if you have a Bible before you, you can open it to Luke chapter 1. These first couple of chapters of Luke are suitable for us to spend our time in during the Christmas season. And so, over the next four Sundays, Aaron and I will alternate walking through with you the step parallel that begins Luke's gospel narrative. If you have worked your way through the long journey, which is our Christmas season family devotional guide, then you may be familiar with that term. Step parallel is a literary device that places two similar events side by side in parallel with one another, only then to show that one of them is much greater than the other, a step up from the other, and thus the term step parallel. So beginning with John the Baptist and stepping up to Jesus, Luke gives us his orderly account of the gospel so that we might be certain of that gospel that we proclaim. So you young ones, you little ones, as you listen, as I read this passage here in just a moment, listen carefully. There's a man named Zechariah, and he's going to meet a very strange visitor in the temple of God. Listen and see if you can tell who is that visitor and why has that visitor come to see Zechariah. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense, And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. 
And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. And we pray. O Lord, we do pray that you would again grant to us the grace of your word and its clarity and cause us in our minds, in our hearts, in our very souls to see and to love this gospel, this good news that you've given to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the video is on the web. It was a setup. A mall food court packed with unsuspecting shoppers stuffing their cheeks with hamburgers and chicken nuggets was for five minutes transformed into a Christmas choir performance hall. I guess some church choir, unable to secure a slot in the local mall's entertainment rotation, seized their own opportunity to make their own stage with a carefully orchestrated, covert operation. While the food court mundanely hummed with lunching shoppers, the background pianist finished up a homely rendition of Jingle Bells, and then someone pressed play, and over the loudspeakers began the introduction of the organ beginnings to the Hallelujah Chorus. And after a few moments, a young woman who until then had been sitting at a table talking on her cell phone all by herself stood up and belted out the classic Hallelujahs. And then, about 50 feet away from her, a disheveled, unshaven fellow in a clumpy sweatsuit stood up and blasted out the baritone follow-up to her hallelujahs, and the show was on. Within moments, other clearly trained voices joined in, while the crowd around the food court marveled at the scene that was unfolding before them. Roast beef sandwiches and waffle fries were completely forgotten, while glory filled the atrium. And then finally, with arms raised throughout the whole food court by this point, they reached the concluding crescendo, and then it was over. And with a smattering of applause, they all sat back down, and everyone simply returned to their nachos and their Chinese food. It was perfect. A flash of the heavenlies descending right down upon the everyday. Nobody expected it. And they didn't seem to know what to do with it when it came. It just came and then it was gone. I'm sure that Luke would have loved to have had such a video in order to write this account, don't you think? He would have loved to have seen the video. The old man Zechariah, the faithful priest for so many years, for decades, the faithful priest, Zechariah, going about his daily business, stepping into the temple alone, only to witness the glory of God unfold before his very eyes, 
It's the kind of scene from which you would run shouting out, you won't believe what I just saw. Only, of course, Zechariah couldn't do that because afterwards he didn't have a voice to speak that. And like an undercover choir raising hallelujahs over junk food, an angel from heaven burst out from 400 years of divine silence to announce the birth of a prophet, Malachi's Christmas prophet. Now, little Johnny was a strange bird. I mean, if we know anything about John the Baptist, right, we know he was a bit of an odd one, wasn't he? And that seems to be one of the primary marks of a prophet, I guess, doesn't it? And we know that from the last couple of months with Hosea. There has to be some degree of peculiarity about them for them to be a prophet, and John was no different. In that regard, he was one, you probably know, who spent his days in the wilderness, wrapped in, what, camel hair and leather, and eating what? Locusts and wild honey? I mean, I kind of imagine Harry Potter's Hagrid, don't you? You know, that big, burly, jovial fellow with the wild, dark hair and the absolutely wild, dark beard and dark eyes gleaming at you over the warm smile from across the room. That's John the Baptist, isn't it? And you can even see the pieces of crunched locust wings and legs and wild honey bits filtered through his beard. And he wants to talk to you about Jesus. You don't invite this guy to your Christmas party. But Malachi, of course, some 400 years before, had said that he would come. And now an angel puts to the test the scriptural knowledge of an old man who surely, surely recognized Malachi's words coming out of his angelic mouth. So Luke here gives us the appearance of a striking angel to announce the birth of a striking prophet who would have a -a one-of-a-kind ministry in Scripture to go before the Lord, to turn the hearts of sinners, and to prepare a people for God. John's ministry directly affects our belief in the Incarnation, of the Lord, because through some 400 years, again, of revelational silence, deep, dark doubt had surely descended upon God's people, and someone needed to strike a match to dispel the doubt. And so there was John, Elijah in Malachi's terms, sent for the purpose first to go, to go before the Lord. John was, as we know, so commonly, we know John was to be the forerunner, right? The the precursor, the opening act, as it were, for Messiah. That was John's role, to go before the Lord in sequence, but also to go before Him in other ways as well. Gabriel draws heavily on Malachi's words. This angel does in the holy place, speaking to Zechariah, the baffled priest. Gabriel draws heavily on Malachi's words, This child will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah, he says. Just as Malachi some four centuries earlier had 
declared the Christmas prophet will come. And here he is, the angel says. Now John, of course, has this distinct privilege, perhaps even in our eyes, an unfortunate privilege of being compared to, directly, Elijah. Elijah was, of course, one of the most distinguished of miracle workers in all of Scripture. And here is our expectations of John the Baptist, and he hasn't even been born yet. He's compared to Elijah. He has some big shoes to fill, but where Elijah's power seems to have been in the miracle, John's power seems to be in the Word. John wasn't known so much as one to work miracles. He's not portrayed as such in the Gospels. And so when the religious authorities questioned John as they ultimately did about his identity, they wanted to know who he was. And so they began to ask him questions. And he didn't give them a sign. He gave them a word. Are you the Messiah? They would ask. No. Are you Elijah? I am not. I'm not Elijah. Are you the prophet? No, I'm not the prophet either. Then who are you, they would ask, because they wanted to know why was it that so many people, throngs of people, hundreds, even thousands of people would come out of the city, out into the wilderness to hear this wild man speak about God's plans and God's vision of the world. Why would all these people come and hear this man speak? They wanted to know who he was, and so they would ask him questions about it. Now, Elijah himself might have called a drought to prove his identity, or he might have raised someone from the dead to prove his identity to these questioners, but John did no such thing. Do you know what John did? He simply quoted Scripture. That's all that John did. He answered them. He said, I am the voice, if you want to know, of one crying out in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord. John goes before the Lord with the power of words to foreshadow the one who is the word of power. That was the nature of John's ministry. As the other John would write, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That is this one of whom John would speak, this word of whom he would speak. You know, Christmas is so complicated. It always is, isn't it? I mean, it's just such a complicated season for us. Childcare is really hard to find. You know that? I see so many heads nodding because you're all looking for childcare. Childcare is so hard to find because our schedules are absolutely packed. Those who need child care and those who would provide child care. We all have things to do. We have things on our calendar during the Christmas season. There's so much that we want to do, so much that we're invited to do, so much that we invite others to do. Child care is hard to find. Our calendars are booked. We're stressed about what gifts we ought to buy. We're stressed about what gifts we ought to want. We're stressed. We're strained over our travel plans. We're strained over who we ought to be with and who we ought not to be with over the Christmas season. All those strains and stresses cause it to be a very complicated season. Now, don't hear me wrong. I will tell you, I love Christmas. 
I look forward to it from August on. It's, I, I anticipate it as much as I do or more than any other season of the year, and surely so many of you do as well. I look forward to it, and I love it, and I enjoy it, but about halfway through it, I begin to look forward to something else. Putting it back in the box and putting it back in the attic for another year because it's just so complicated. Why? Why is it just so complicated? And January following seems to be so peaceful and quiet. The life of gospel faith can seem so complicated and so full of doubts and clutter for us. Zechariah and Elizabeth are an interesting picture of this because Luke portrays them, as he is wont to do with such historical detail, as being righteous. He calls them both righteous and even blameless as they walked before the Lord. Now, he doesn't mean that they were without sin. Those are just simply Bible words to portray someone who lived faithfully, if not perfectly, at least faithfully in obedience to God and His Word. And yet, Luke inserts the ever-important detail, they had no child, and they were both advanced in years. I mean, the allusion to Abraham and Sarah is unmistakable, isn't it? If you know anything about your Old Testament history, you know this is a picture of Abraham and Sarah. They were both old, and they had no child. Evidently, it was something significant to them that they had no child. They had longed for children, surely, as everyone did in those days, in ways that we perhaps don't even understand in our culture, in our age. And yet God had denied them for all of these years. They had been faithful, but had He? Surely they had doubts. And surely you have similar doubts. Even during the Christmas season, surely you have similar doubts about the gospel and what it has for you. And maybe those doubts are just hidden by Christmas cheer that pacifies them for a season until you're forced to see again that the life of gospel faith is not rooted in your faithfulness any more than it was rooted in that of Zechariah and Elizabeth, but rather it's rooted in the Word, in the Word to which this child that Zechariah learns of would bear witness John would go before the Lord in a ministry of word to foreshadow the word who would be the light of men. And in his going, John was to be at work as well, at work turning. He was to turn the hearts of sinners. Again, Gabriel quotes from Malachi's last words almost. Here's what the angel tells Zechariah. This child will turn many of the children of Israel, to the Lord their God. And He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and He will turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. The turning of a heart is absolutely crucial in the application of the gospel. You have to know that. There should be a whole theology of turning. There really is, actually. Do you know? Turning is absolutely crucial, absolutely central in the gospel, and it is central in John's ministry of word as well. Even Zechariah at this point needed a turning. Maybe you recognize it. This was a really big day for Zechariah. You may not have seen this in the details here, but Zechariah, 
as a priest serving before God, his division was on duty. And there were, by this time, thousands of priests in Israel. There were a whole section of the population. And though this cultural practice, this, this worship practice of entering into the holy place with the incense representing the prayers, the petitions of the people, was a regular activity. Only one priest was to do it. And he was to be drawn by lots out of the division of priests that was serving at that time. And not all of them got to do it over the course of their career. Some of them did. Many of them did. But after they did once, they didn't again. It was a a very privileged thing to get to do. This was a, a crucially important day in Zechariah's priestly career, a big day for him, a once-in-a-lifetime, literally, opportunity as a priest. And what does he find when he goes into the temple? What does he find when he walks alone into the holy place but an angel standing there waiting for him? And he was troubled, of course. He was filled with fear, Luke tells us. And we read the first words of the angel, which is, Always the first word of an angel when an angel appears to anyone, don't be afraid. He has good reason to be afraid. We can only imagine, we can only begin to fathom what he saw and what this vision must have seemed like to him as he entered the temple alone. Don't be afraid, the first words of the angel. Your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. Now Luke doesn't tell us the detail of what Zechariah had been praying. Of course, at this moment, he's entering into the holy place of the temple, carrying the incense of the people, the throngs of which are scattered out in the temple courts, waiting for his work in the temple, carrying their petitions before the Lord. He surely is praying. What's he praying for? Well, he's probably praying for the redemption of Israel. That would be an appropriate prayer for him at this moment. But it seems like there's more to it than that because of the angel's words. There had been at least at some point in the past a prayer for a child. At some point, that had been on his lips and those of Elizabeth as well. They had prayed for a child. And the angel comes to him and tells him, Don't be afraid. You're going to have a child in your old age. And Zechariah responds to it. How shall I know that that's true? I mean, you have to understand... Imagine the scene. Zechariah has walked in and seen this angel of the Lord. He's filled with fear. And suddenly he's ready to disbelieve. Suddenly he's ready to say to this angel, standing toe-to-toe with him and saying, How do I know that you're going to do what you say you're going to do? How do I know that you even can? How do I know that you're an angel after all? I don't know. Maybe Zechariah didn't believe his own eyes. Maybe he didn't believe his own ears. Who knows? But he needed a turning. And so the angel turns him, doesn't he? The angel says to him, Zechariah, I am Gabriel. Now those words matter because Zechariah, as a faithful priest of Israel for all these years, would have immediately remembered, oh yeah, Gabriel is the one who appeared to Daniel. And Daniel was a long time ago. 600-some years ago. And Gabriel appeared to Daniel to explain to him about those uh, weeks 
you know, the 70 weeks that he would be expecting Daniel in the coming history of the world and about the 77s before the anointed one would surely come to redeem Israel. Oh, that's right. That's Gabriel. He's the one. And now I'm talking to him. Zechariah is being turned and the angel says to him, I'll give you a sign. You won't speak for the next nine months. It's a, a bit of church discipline on Zechariah for his disbelief, for his refusal to believe because turning is absolutely crucial in the gospel. And the angel is with a firm hand turning Zechariah to believe and the discipline becomes the sign and the sign dispels the doubt and it turns Zechariah's heart to believe. And you can imagine the scene as he returns back out to the temple courts. Everyone's been waiting on him because he was delayed by the angel's work with him. And now he can't speak. He can only sign to them. Now it's clear to them that he's seen a vision, but he can't even now explain to him why he can't speak. He can't tell them why he's been disciplined in this way. They can only imagine. John's ministry would be a ministry to call people to turn, to repent. That's what he says. He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, John does. Don't claim to be children of Abraham. Rather, show it by your repentance. Repentance is very simple, you know. Turn. That's all repentance is. It's a turning. It's a turning away from your sin to turn to Jesus. It's a turning away from your righteousness to turn to His righteousness. It's a turning away from your doubts to turn to His faithfulness. So turn. We think it's silly that Zechariah would doubt an angel face to face. You know, I kind of speak of it somewhat mockingly in a half-hearted way. We think it's kind of silly. He was so slow to lend credibility to Gabriel, this angel. And yet, our slowness to repent, our slowness to turn, is the same refusal to lend credibility to Jesus. It's as though we know that forgiveness is a part of the gospel. We don't believe that he can really give it. Terry Fader is a ventriloquist. You may know his name. He was on Larry King Live. And Larry King was, was uh, interviewing him about his ventriloquist skills and about his rise to fame. You know, he, he became famous through some talent show. And now he has a running ventriloquism show in Las Vegas. And he was explaining that in his shows, his ventriloquism dolls sing they do great impersonations of Elvis and of the Neville brothers and of Cher, among many others. And so as Terry Fader would perform with his ventriloquist dolls, who would sing, he decided that he would introduce his own singing into the show. And so he began to sing in the show. And after those shows, his fans would come to him in complete disbelief. I didn't know that you could sing. Our refusal to repent is just as dull. It's just as dull, our refusal to turn, as a grown-up being fooled by an act. It's just as dull. 
John's would be a ministry of turning hearts of sinners. And he does it with a powerful picture. Even Gabriel gives it to us straight from Malachi. What happens when the hearts of fathers turn towards their children? This is the picture that Malachi gives and Gabriel echoes. What happens then? What happens when the hearts of fathers turn towards their children, but the hearts of children begin to turn towards their fathers? The hearts of wives begin to turn towards their families. Turning, repentance, when it happens, is contagious. And such turning dispels our doubts. And in this turning, John was to accomplish another task. He was to prepare a people. Again, the angel's words from Malachi, this child would make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Isaiah, you could say, even could claim John as his Christmas prophet as well. Isaiah's words were, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. And Malachi, Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. John's task was preparatory. To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. That's the term that Luke uses. It's an odd and unusual term. A people prepared is what John was after. And there's no doubt that there's an element of specific preparation. He came to prepare them to believe God's word, much as Zechariah was turned by Gabriel to believe his word. And in the same way, he came to prepare God's people to be relieved of shame in the same way that Elizabeth was relieved of her burden of shame by having a child in her womb. But more than that, and even stronger than that, there's a sense of John's preparatory work that he was to make ready a people prepared. That is, a people who had been prepared through the narrative of redemptive history. This is a a, a subtle reflection on what we would call our doctrine of election. To step back in time into the Old Testament, John's ministry coming directly out of it, And to make ready for God a people prepared, a people that had been prepared throughout the ages to be God's people. King David even prayed for them in 2 Samuel chapter 7. He prayed this, And who is like your people, O God, Israel, the one nation on earth whom you went to redeem to be your people? And you established them to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. These people had been established. They had been prepared by God Himself. Prepared to belong to Him. Prepared for centuries as His covenant people. Perhaps to be as surprised by their belonging to Him as an old man was surprised by an angel John's job was simply to stir the pot, to ready them to show their preparation, even if some didn't know it yet. In the Christmas season, we anticipate the Incarnation, but perhaps we ought not to think of it so much as an opportunity for a new life of repentance in an individual, but rather as the fulfillment of that new life of repentance 
for God's people who are long prepared for it through the ages of redemptive history. Luke puts two redemptive characters in parallel here in these early stages of his gospel. The one to herald the other. The one goes before to foreshadow with words the one whose very words are life. The one turns hearts to see their need to turn to the one who forgives. And the one prepares a people to relish even their place in the narrative of redemptive history, God having prepared them to be His own. Little John was a strange one. He was an odd bird. He was a a quirky fellow. But listen to him. Hear God's Word. Repent and be prepared for the incarnation of the Lord. Oh Lord, we do pray that You would grant to us the faith to see and believe that John's words of his ministry are true. That You gave him a ministry of Word to lead us by Your Word to believe, to see and believe the good news of the Gospel that You have granted to us that we might live and have life yet again. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.